0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Today's topic is cancel culture. Major League Baseball is so woke that they take an all-star game from one of the largest minority communities in America and give it to a rich white community that is even less diverse. And oh, by the way, that community has voter ID laws. Delta says that it's bigoted to require an ID to vote, but yet can you get on a plane without one? No. And a school board member in Portland says pine trees are offensive. You can't make this stuff up. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. Today's topic is cancel culture. Now, before I get into discussing a couple examples, a couple of the most recent examples of how crazy this nonsense has become, I have a question for you. Are you sick of it yet? Are you tired enough of this nonsense to actually do something about it? There is a solution. There is a solution. I've had many people ask me over the course of the last couple years, okay, Piper, you've identified the problem. You talked to us about this whole cancel culture, the microaggressions, the snowflake rebellion, these juvenile demands of you're going to take care of me because I can't take care of myself. This endemic narcissism that is rife, not only within our colleges and universities, but in our elementary schools and in our high schools, in our boardrooms, in our corporations, in our Congress and in our courts, is pervasive across our entire culture right now. It appears that helicopter parenting for the last 20, 30, 40 years is actually coming home to roost. That all of those timeouts that we've given Our children, one generation after another, haven't really worked out that well for us. That all of this affirmation rather than confrontation is actually backfiring. I mean, my land in the 2016 election, all of these snowflakes demanded counseling centers with Play-Doh and coloring books and videos of frolicking puppies because they felt so insecure and so offended by the results of the election. And I said at the time, I said at the time, I know it's rude to say I told you so, but I told you so. I said in 2015 and 16 in my commentary, this is not a daycare, this is a university. I said that what we're teaching at Berkeley and Brown will not stay at those colleges and universities. What's taught in the classroom will be practiced tomorrow in our culture. And what you see at Berkeley and Brown in 2015 will exist. It won't stop there. It will exist in our boardrooms, in our living rooms, in our churches, in our communities, in our corporations, in our companies, in our government. It will be pervasive throughout all of culture in short order. I said that in 2015, and where are we right now? Where are we right now? We're seeing these chickens coming home to roost. Consume ideological carcinogens and you're going to get cancer of the heart, mind, and soul. And we've been consuming this garbage for decades, and we should not be surprised that we now have a malignancy of the mind. We can't think our way out of a paper bag any longer. We actually have Major League Baseball pulling its all-star game from Atlanta, a very diverse city, in a very diverse state, they pull their all-star game from Georgia, from Atlanta, and they put it in Colorado, in Core Stadium, in an area that is pervasively white, not nearly as diverse as the city and the state from which they pulled the game. Oh, but they did so because of the... Uh, Terrible voter ID laws that the Georgia legislature just passed. Guess what? Colorado has voter ID laws. They're not that different. They're not that different than the ones in Georgia. Delta says that it's bigoted to require somebody to show an ID to vote, but yet they demand that you show an ID to get on their planes. I didn't realize that they were so intolerant. I didn't realize that they were so racist and bigoted in their decisions to require IDs of their own customers, their own passengers. The list goes on and on. And then you have this woman, this woman in Portland, Oregon, who just last week, while they were discussing at a school board meeting, Changing their mascot from a Trojan to something else. I guess the Trojan represents battle and combat and conquest and male toxicity of some sort. I don't know. So they've got to change it. And several people recommended, well, why don't we change it to an evergreen tree? Because it's the Northwest and evergreen trees are everywhere and they represent shade and comfort The deep roots of the tree represent the depth of culture and the unity that we all have as a society. They actually said stuff like this, by the way, and then, okay, whatever, fine. Well, one of the school board members pipes up and says, well, wait a second. I don't think we can use an evergreen tree as our mascot because it will offend some people. It will frighten some people because it will remind them of lynchings. I'm serious. She actually said this. So I guess all of us that go out and buy Christmas trees, all of us are guilty of some sort of latent subconscious racism when we do so, because that's a symbol of lynchings. We've literally lost our minds. As the Apostle Paul told us in Romans, When you start worshiping the created rather than the Creator, you're given over to a reprobate mind. You know, I'm fond of circling back and quoting that verse over and over again because it represents so accurately where we are in our culture right now. We refuse to worship our Creator, we refuse to even acknowledge the self evident truths that are endowed to us by that Creator. And if there is no creator, guess what? Nothing is self-evident any longer. Everything becomes self-referential. In other words, everything is measured by you. Everything comes down to your feelings. The facts don't matter any longer. In fact, anybody claiming that facts exists is a religious bigot because that person is somehow claiming that that objective reality of facts trumps everybody else's subjective opinions and feelings. And we all know that those opinions and feelings need to be affirmed. We can't challenge any of that because that would be intolerant. That would be hateful. That would be unloving to do that. This is nonsense. It literally makes no sense. Did you really think we'd be at a point in time in our culture where somebody seriously would suggest that a pine tree represents lynching, represents racism, represents the KKK and violence. A pine tree, an evergreen tree, a blue spruce from Portland, the Northwest. Did you ever think that Major League Baseball would be so stupid as to pull its all-star game from a city because that city is in a state that thinks you should have to show an ID before you vote. Prove that you actually are who you are before you vote. And prove that you haven't voted five, six, ten times. Why is that racist? Oh, well, you've heard the left. They've said, well, African Americans -Americans can't access state-issued IDs as easily as everybody else. Is there anything more condescending and insulting To the black community than for someone to suggest that they can't figure out how to go get an ID. They're free. You can't say that there's any sort of financial reason behind their inability to get an ID. It has to be something else. And oh, by the way, did you know in Georgia that 97% of registered voters, whether they're white or black, have a state-issued ID? 97% of registered voters already have that ID. And for the 3% that don't, the state has agreed to give them IDs for free. Make it easy. Make it free. You can't get any less expensive than that and solve the problem. But yet Delta says that's racist, Racist? excuse me, and the Major League Baseball says it's racist. And you've got this crazy woman in Portland saying that evergreen trees are racist. This is insulting to the black community because it dumbs down racism to essentially nothing. And all that they've suffered, all of the things that they've suffered in their march for freedom, in their civil rights marches, are made out to be a joke. Because if they marched for this kind of nonsense, then they're being made fun of right now. And we're not taking the abuse that they really suffered seriously. Because we're putting it on an equal level with pine trees and voter ID laws. And that's insulting. That makes the sacrifices of Martin Luther King Jr. and everybody else that marched with him essentially a mockery and meaningless. There is a solution to this nonsense, however. The solution to this nonsense is to recognize that life isn't supposed to be safe, but it's good. The solution is to recognize the difference between selfish cries for safety and adult aspirations for goodness. Let's take a break and acknowledge our sponsors, and when we get back, we'll talk about the difference between safety and goodness. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. We will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. You know that uh, this week I've been talking about my upcoming book, the book that will be released on April 13th, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Now I want to focus on that subtitle again, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I want to focus on the difference between safety and goodness. I want to talk about first things versus second things again. C.S. Lewis's admonition that if you put first things first, you'll get those first things, and... Often you get the second things thrown in for good measure, but if you put second things ahead of first things, if you get your priorities reversed, then you probably won't get either the second or the first. You'll sacrifice it all. Safety versus goodness. What should our priority be? Well, I obviously argue that it should be goodness, and I use the example of C.S. Lewis's description of the great lion Aslan, which is the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And we're told that Aslan is not safe, but he's good. And I think there's great depth and great meaning in that claim. Life isn't safe, but it's good. As I've said before, the Constitution isn't safe, but it's good. Our country isn't safe, but it's good. The church isn't safe, but it's good. Parenting isn't safe, but it's good. Being an athlete is not safe, but it's good. Being a professional musician is never safe, but it's good. All of the things in life that have value are not safe. They're good. There's a huge difference between goodness and safety. And you should prefer the first and not the second. Goodness should be your priority not what is safe. I said that there was a solution to this nonsense, that there's a remedy for this problem, that this disease of heart, mind, and soul that our culture has acquired can be cured. And I firmly believe that the solution goes back to education, whether it be at the podium or the pulpit, or whether it be in parenting, because all of those three functions are really functions of teaching. Parents are to teach your children what is good and what is right and what is just and what is true. You're to teach them how to be responsible adults. Teachers are to teach. That's your job. You're to teach truth, not opinions. You're to elevate facts over feelings. And preachers, preachers are to preach the things that matter, the truths of the gospel, truths with a capital T. All of these things represent education. Not safe education, but good education. And good education must be grounded in the conservative respect for what is immutable, unchangeable, enduring, and just and real. Not the faults and the feelings, but the facts, the objective realities of what it means to be an educated person. Good education should seek to reclaim those things that have been co-opted by a deceptive culture, by a childish culture, by a juvenile culture. Good education should seek to reveal what has been compromised. Good education should be free of intimidation. It should never bow the knee to cancel culture or the rage mob. Never bow the knee. Good education stands in the face of intimidation and says no. Good education should honor open inquiry and the right to disagree, the right to dissent. Good education should have confidence in the measuring rod outside of those things being measured, in the measuring rod of truth. Good education should respect the unalienable standard of truth that is bigger and better than the crowd or the consensus. Education, good education, what was classically known as liberal education, Good education, not safe education, teaches young men and women the art of pursuing truth, not constructing opinions. Martin Luther King Jr. told us in his letter from the Birmingham jail that good education, good education, again, not safe education, he was in jail. He put his safety on the line. He sacrificed that for the goodness of his cause Can't we understand that? MLK told us in the letter he wrote from the Birmingham jail that good education aims to conserve the immutable virtues that serve as our strongest justification for our ongoing struggle for freedom, for liberation, for liberty. You see, freedom and liberation and liberty are good things. They are not safe things. It seems that hardly a day goes by now where we don't hear some call for safe spaces, for speech codes. There are countless stories out there that show that colleges and universities today are more bastions of ideological fascism than they are bulwarks of free speech. This is what has become of the ivory tower. We've lost the ability to debate. We've lost any interest of defending freedom. Freedom to disagree. Because disagreement now is synonymous with hate. And if you don't like what I said, then I'm a hater. You can't just disagree with it. You can't challenge it. You can't try to prove me wrong. I can't do the same to you because that disagreement has now become synonymous with hate. I disagree with somebody's sexual choices. Then I'm a hater. I disagree with their politics. Well, then I'm a hater. I disagree with their view of parenting and how they want to raise their child. Well, that makes me hateful. That makes me a hater. Disagreement is now synonymous with hate. I disagree with the government's reaction to COVID. I disagree with the church's response to COVID. Well, that makes me hateful. That means that I don't care about people. That means I'm not truly pro-life because I'm putting other people's lives at risk. This is how absurd our culture has become. The answer to the riots and the answer to the rebellions that are taking place across our country, on our campuses, in our courtrooms, in our Congress, in our culture at large, from coast to coast, from Berkeley to Brown, The answer isn't found in the tyranny of false tolerance or in the ideological safety of trigger warnings No the answer is found the answer is found in returning to the age old mission of the liberal arts to Veritas. To truth. The answer isn't found in false tolerance or the ideological safety of trigger warnings. It isn't found in more restrictions and more legalism. It isn't found in perpetuating victimization. It isn't found in the violence and vengeance that's being promoted by Black Lives Matter and critical race theory. Like I said, it's found in returning to the time tested truths, the wisdom of the ages. It's found in discarding the chronological snobbery of the me generation, of the snowflakes, of you offended me, you hurt my feelings, I don't feel loved. Well, guess what? With apologies to Tina Turner, love is not just a second-hand emotion. Your feelings really don't matter when it comes to the definition of love. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's hard work. Love involves confrontation. Love involves discipline. Love involves courage. Love involves standing in the way and telling somebody to stop. What you're doing is hurting yourself. It's hurting other people. It's hurting your church. It's hurting your community. It's hurting your culture. What you're doing is unhealthy for mind, body, and soul. Love cares enough To tell people that love doesn't just tolerate people when they're doing stupid things. As I said in yesterday's show, tolerance is an inferior virtue. We don't send people I tolerate you cards on Valentine's Day, and there's a reason for that. Because to do so would be an insult. Tolerance is inferior to love. Tolerance says, I don't like you. I don't love you. I'll tolerate you. Go do what you want. Whereas Christian charity, biblical love, says I care enough about you. I love you enough to stand in your way and tell you to stop. I won't tolerate you, and I won't tolerate your harmful behavior or your broken ideas. Yesterday, I quoted a Bible verse that says the Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline and love are not mutually exclusive. They're not opposites. They're complementary. They're part of the same process. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Love is just not a secondhand emotion. We need to stop conflating feelings with love, in my view. I could feel a lot of things. I could feel offended. I could feel hurt. I could feel angry. But none of that should preclude me from loving you. And it doesn't. My feelings don't matter and neither do yours. The facts of what it means to be obligated to Christian charity, to Christ-like love, trump any of my feelings and any of yours. Because that kind of love is good. That kind of love is not safe. It's not safe for me to tell somebody that they're wrong, that's risky, they may not like me, it may break a relationship. That's not safe, but it's good, because it's honest and it's true. I said yesterday that the solution to this nonsense is to go to the writings of the Apostle Paul, to the Church of Ephesus, his book of Ephesians, where he confronts this church, this first century church, this group of early believers. And he says this Speak the truth in love and grow up. Isn't that interesting? He says two things Speak the truth. Speak the truth. And I'm going to put a capital T on that. Speak the truth. Recognize that there are th- some things that are true and there are other things that are lies. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. Confront those things that aren't true. Expose the lies. Tell people that safe spaces are a joke. It's a clown show. It's living in a fairy tale. Life isn't safe. Life isn't safe. You're not going to accomplish anything. You're not going to get anything done in life. If you want to always be comfortable and safe, if you always want to be coddled, you'll crawl your way through life as an infant. Spiritually, intellectually, you will crawl your way through life professionally, psychologically, sociologically, ontologically, epistemologically. You will crawl your way through life if you want to be safe. Because infants have no desire to do anything else, they're content to live in a daycare. Again, the solution. Recognize, number one, that life isn't safe, but it's good. Number two, recognize the distinction, the priorities between safety and goodness, and get your priorities straight. And then number three, remember what the Apostle Paul taught us. Speak the truth in love. Truth being an objective reality, not postmodern constructs. Truth doesn't care about your feelings. And love is that verb that cares enough to confront. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Speak the truth in love and grow up. Don't be content with milk, the Apostle Paul tells us. Desire meat, substance. Sink your teeth into life. Recognize the challenges are there and that iron sharpens iron and that you are refined by fire. It's teaching this good stuff that is the solution to the mess that we're in. It's the return to those self-evident truths that are endowed to us by God through his revelation, and that's natural law and the Bible. In times of universal deceit, what's the only rebellion left? Truth. Truth. In times of universal deceit, safe spaces, microaggressions, comfort versus courage, truth is the only rebellion left. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.